Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them high up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified." And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening, my name's Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. Let me tell you a little bit about where we're headed tonight. On holiday weekends, we do things a little bit differently. We have unplugged worship. We don't use the screens. Um, and tonight, we are also taking communion. So at the end of the sermon, Pastor Jeff will come up and lead us in communion. Um, as you receive the elements, Lisa's going to play another song for us that you don't have lyrics to. It's just a song of reflection that we can uh, think about the words that are being sung and think about uh, what we're doing as we partake in communion together. So just wanted to let you know that's where we're headed. Also, the kids are in here with us tonight. So um, that's always a good time. So don't worry if the kids are making noise or anything like that. That's fine. If you kids want to show me any pictures while I'm up here, that's cool. I'll try to... (laughs) Grant says no. Um, But we are glad that you're here. We are continuing in this series through the book of Mark. Um, As you may have heard last week, if you were here, we're at a critical time in the book of Mark and also the ministry of Jesus. And that's because we are starting to see Jesus make a turn from his really teaching and healing ministry to his march towards the cross. And as Jeff just read for us, as Jesus and his disciples come down from this mountain, they're not going to stop until they get to Jerusalem. And then he's going to spend a a little bit of time in Jerusalem, uh, and then he's going to be put to death. So this is really a turning point in the book of Mark. And as we read about this turning point, we're confronted with an idea And that idea has been going throughout Mark and it will continue through the end of Mark. And it's the idea of faith. If you haven't caught it as we've gone through, I want to point out some references here. If you want to take notes uh, tonight, um, I'll kind of point out some things that I'd like you to take note of. um, And I'll point out what scripture we're at and we can look it up together since it won't be up on the screen. The theme of faith in Mark has been throughout the book of Mark. Here's a quick sample. In Mark chapter 2, we read Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. In chapter 4, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Chapter 5, he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your diseases. As we look ahead in Mark 10, Jesus said to them, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Mark chapter 11, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say 
to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says will come to pass, it will be done. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Then tonight in Mark chapter 9, we're going to read, he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you, and how long am I to bear with you? This theme of Mark, uh, of faith in Mark, and the need for faith is throughout. It is part of Jesus healing others. It is something that the disciples struggle with, and it's something that we can relate to as well. So tonight, the big idea, what we're after is answering the question, how do we get faith? It's necessary to be healed. It's necessary to be faithful. It's necessary to be saved. How do we have this faith that is so hard for them in scripture, the disciples, and us as well? Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us tonight. We pray that you would continue to speak. We want to continue to worship you as we open your word, as we learn from your word. Jesus, ultimately, we want to see you clearly. God, we pray that whatever may be blinding our eyes from seeing you or even just distracting our gaze from looking at you, that God, we would see who you really are here tonight. Jesus, thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have shown us who you are. Just as you showed your disciples exactly who you are and exactly what you came to do, you show us clearly who you are and we want to see plainly who you are and what you're asking us to do. Jesus, we believe you. Would you help our unbelief tonight? In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Faith is something that is required, but it is also something that is difficult. There's so many things that make faith difficult. It can be painful experiences from our past or that we're currently going through. We say we believe in a God, but we cannot see him with our eyes. Our most intimate relationships in this world, many of them are broken or even just unhelpful in having faith or seeing who God is clearly. We hear about a heavenly father who loves us and then many have a broken relationship or even just an imperfect relationship with their earthly father. We read the promises of God in scripture, but we don't feel as if they are true for us or at least not right now. There are so many things that make faith difficult in our own lives. Even just our own waywardness, our our own um, inability to follow him closely. And we're going to talk about seeing Jesus tonight, but we're distracted by every little thing. And no matter how seriously we think we're taking our faith or following Jesus, the smallest thing can distract us and keep us from having faith. So if we look at our own lives Faith can be difficult. When we look at tonight's scripture, we're going to see some people that wrestle with having the right kind of faith in Jesus. Their emotions are stacked against them. Their experiences are stacked against them. They see a lack of fruit personally and in the mission God has called them to, and they start to question their own faith. We will also see Jesus begin to head towards Jerusalem for the very last time and his disciples will see more and more clearly each day that Jesus really is headed towards death. Man, if that didn't rock their faith and make faith difficult, then nothing else would. His disciples will need a faith that they currently have not shown 
in order to go where Jesus is calling them to go. If you're taking notes, there's three things we're looking at tonight. Tonight, we will learn what it looks like to have faith. And the three things we're going to see is first, we need to see Jesus. In order to have faith, we need to see Jesus. The second thing is that we need to confess our unbelief. Confess our unbelief. And third, we need to pray. See Jesus, confess our unbelief, pray. So let's look at the text where we see these three things either take place or not take place. First, we need to see Jesus clearly. So we're going to start with the story in Mark 1, or Mark 9, verses 1 through 9 that Jeff read for us. I'm just going to give you um, some brief summary here because we just read through it and we have actually quite a bit of scripture to cover tonight. Last week, we had uh, some teachings of Jesus and some goings on of Jesus where Jesus is saying, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. That's in the villages or along the villages on the way to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is at the base of a mountain. Now the transfiguration is happening up on this mountain. Uh, There's a couple of different mountains geographically that this could have been. Doesn't necessarily matter. They were both right there, same uh, kind of region. They were up on one of them. It's not named here by Mark, so we're left to speculate. Then Jesus is transfigured. You can see him in his glory. Uh, We get three different descriptions uh, of what he looks like. In verse 3, it says, His clothes were radiant. They were intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This tells us a couple things. First, this is portraying a unbelievable holiness, a holiness that no human can achieve. Because a human can bleach their clothes. In fact, the Jews would. They would bleach stains out of them to keep them pure. The priests would bleach the robes to make sure that they showed the holiness of God. But here, Mark is dictating what Peter saw firsthand, and he is saying, Jesus was holy, holy, holy. Jesus was more holy than any human can make themselves. The other thing that this is telling us is that this is a second-hand account of something that actually happened. Peter was actually there, he actually saw this, and he dictated this to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. There's vivid detail here for exactly what was taking place. Then we're told in this transfiguration, they also see Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses. These are an interesting two people to show up here as we're seeing the glory of God. There's a lot of theories and there's many, much merit to um, many of those theories. Uh, But a couple of things that we need to know about Elijah and Moses is Elijah was known as a prophet of God. And there was a prophecy that we've already read about in Mark that the spirit of Elijah would come and then the kingdom would come. Well, Jesus is saying Elijah came and then John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah. And so Elijah is appearing here again. And then Moses. Moses, who God used to free God's people, deliver God's people out of slavery. He was really a great priest, even though he wasn't officially a priest. He was great in the line of God's people. And here they are showing up. These are really two pillars of the faith, of the Jews, of the Old Testament. And here... Jesus is being transfigured and they are also seeing Elijah and Moses. This is confusing not only to us, but it was also confusing to these three disciples that were with Jesus. And we know that by what Peter says. He says, let's make three tents. Verse 6 tells us why he said, let's make three tents. Verse 6 says, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. (laughs) 
Have you ever been in this situation and you don't know what to say? There's two kinds of people in this world when they don't know what to say. Those that keep their mouth shut and those that just keep talking. We know what Peter is. He just keeps talking. And I'm kind of glad because we probably wouldn't have the book of Mark if Peter didn't just say whatever came to his mind. So I'm glad that he was this kind of guy. But here we're told he was terrified. He didn't know what else to say. And he said, let's make three tents. Why would he have said, let's make three tents? A couple of theories. One, he thinks that Jesus should be memorialized and thought of in the same way as Elijah and Moses. And this means the kingdom has finally come. We've got the three great prophets of Judaism now. We've got Elijah, we've got Moses, and now we've got Jesus. We're ready. The kingdom has come. Or he thinks that all of them should stay there because he really likes the way this is going. He doesn't like the talk of Jesus going to death. He doesn't like the thought of them having to take up their cross and follow him to their death. Let's just chill on this mountain. So first, I get it, because being on a mountain is just great. I don't want to come down either. I'm going to Utah on December 30th with one of my kids. I might not come back. If I don't come back, Bo will just take over and you guys will be fine. I might just stay there. So that's one reason he wants to stay on the mountain, because mountains are great. The second reason is, this seems like this is what I thought it looked like when the kingdom came where Jesus is glorified, we have this like holy trinity of prophets and now the Jews can be in power, we can go back in all this power and do all the things that I think the kingdom looks like. But what is Jesus' response? And the cloud overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And they were coming down the mountain, and he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here, Jesus reminds them, this is not what I came for. I am not yet fully glorified. The kingdom has not yet fully come. I still have to march down this mountain and march into Jerusalem to my death. So, This is what's taking place. Before Peter and James and John and the other disciples can carry out the mission that God has called them to until the Holy Spirit can come and live inside the followers of Jesus, they first have to see Jesus clearly. They have to see who he is. Throughout the book of Mark, we've been looking at people that are just fans of Jesus. They want to see a show. They want to see him do something in power. They want to see him cast demons into pigs and the pigs run off a cliff. They want him to do something for them, but they're not true followers. Jesus has already told his disciples, come follow me, but he keeps showing them and defining for them what that means. They need to see first that he is the Messiah, the son of man, the son of God, the fulfillment of, of the law and prophets, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the prophecies in Isaiah. He is the suffering servant and he is the conquering king. And they have to see that clearly. They also have to see that he is Lord so they will adequately worship him. That's why they saw this holy vision, this transfigured vision of who Jesus was. Likewise, In order for us to have faith, in order for us to fully follow Jesus, 
We need to see him clearly. We'll talk more about how to do that at the end of the sermon when we get to application. Number two, we need to confess our unbelief. Confess our unbelief. Chapter 9, verses 14 through 27, Jesus comes down from the mountain and he finds his people quarreling. The disciples, the crowd, the religious leaders, they're all quarreling as he comes down from the mountain. Does this sound familiar? This sounds like Moses coming down from the mountain after meeting with God and his people are worshiping idols. They're fighting amongst one another. Jesus now finds the same. What are they quarreling and fighting about. An argument had broken out between the scribes and the disciples with a crowd that was participating in the conversation. We don't, it is hard for us to picture because when we have a disagreement with someone, it's like between two people. And if you walk past them, you're like, oh, that's awkward. I'm going to get out of here as fast as I can. This became like a group conversation that was taking place. A man from the crowd speaks up and tells Jesus his son has been afflicted by a spirit that makes him mute And throws him on the ground in convulsions. He says he brought his son to the disciples. And the disciples tried to cast out the unclean spirit in his son. And they were not able. And now there's a fight. With the scribes. With the disciples. With the surrounding crowd and this man. And they're trying to figure out if these men are following Jesus. Why can't they cast out this unclean spirit? Verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus here is addressing primarily the disciples who are unable, do not have the faith needed to cast out this unclean spirit. Verse 21, Jesus now addressing the father asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Then we're told that Jesus heals this young man completely. And his body is at peace. And the unclean spirit leaves him. He's healed completely. This father comes to Jesus and confesses, on one hand, unbelief, but on the other, belief. I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you can heal my son. Help what? My unbelief. He doesn't just ask for healing of his son. He prays for his own unbelief with this whole situation, this desperate situation where this demon is trying to destroy his own son by throwing him into water and throwing him into fire, is taking over his life. This man is in a situation that makes faith difficult, yet he has faith in Jesus. This man shows us that the beginning of belief is coming and confessing our struggle to believe. We're scared to say that we're struggling to to believe in Jesus, but this man confesses his struggle. Jesus honors his faith and he heals. 
to have faith, we must first confess our lack of faith. Third, we need to pray. In order to have faith, we need to pray. The disciples now have questions for Jesus. They have questions for Jesus because they weren't able to cast out this unclean spirit. And so now in Mark 9, 28, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's think through together some of the things that the disciples may have tried to cast this unclean spirit out of this man. They may have laid hands on him. They may have uh, come around him as disciples. They may have tried to convince the unclean spirit to come out. They may have asked the father, well, have you taken him to the right doctors? Have you gone to this doctor? Have you seen this doctor? We hear this doctor or this healer is doing great things. They tried all kinds of things to try to free this young man, heal this young man, overcome this demon, and none of them worked. Jesus says, this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So often we try and do things by our own effort that can only be done through prayer. We struggle to see when there is a spiritual problem going on in our lives. We see prayer as a last resort. I've tried everything else. Now I'm just going to pray. We find out a a friend is struggling and we text them, do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? Is there anything I can do? Is there anything I can say? And then we're like, well, I guess I'll just pray for you. To turn to prayer, we need to start with a humility that says, I can't. If the disciples would have gone to this young man with the unclean spirit and just said, we can't, but we know someone who can, and we're going to pray for you and we're going to take you to him, then they would have been able to heal this young man. In these stories, we learned that faith is essential and faith is difficult. So let's look into this a little further by way of application. In order to have faith, which we've already seen is hard for us, it was hard for the disciples. First, we need to see Jesus. First, we need to see Jesus. So we're going to talk now about how to see Jesus. I love knowing things about anything and everything. I love learning new information. I love reading books. I like knowing a little bit about a lot of different things. There's a number of different reasons for this. It's the way God has wired me. Um, I also like to understand what people are saying when they talk to me about what they do. And I've never had a real job. I've worked at coffee shops and churches. So if someone has not worked at a coffee shop or a church and they start talking about what they do for a living, I'm like, I don't know, what's math? I don't know what you're talking about. So I like to study and listen to podcasts and read books. So I learn a little bit about a lot of things. So I know not a ton about anything but maybe theology, but I know a little bit about, uh, probably a little bit more than the average person, about coffee and food and finances and neuroscience and all these different things that I know a little bit more than the average person about because I want to know 
What's going on? I want to know a little bit about a lot of different things. We ultimately need to see Jesus clearly. We study many things, and studying theology is good for all of us. Studying in academics is giving a lot of you jobs and is going to be part of your job moving forward. Some of you are going to be learning things about your field of study for the rest of your life, and that's beautiful, and it just shows more of who God is. But we spend so much time studying and learning about how to make the perfect whatever. This morning for me, it was coffee cake. Making the perfect coffee cake because I wanted a coffee cake. So I was looking for recipes on how to make a perfect coffee cake. We spent all this time trying to figure out all these things and the best way to do whatever and our understanding of Jesus is this deep. Most of us have spent most of our life reading about Jesus and not listening to Jesus and seeing him clearly. Most of us either didn't grow up in church or grew up in a church that read a lot of people that talked about Jesus or really just learned about Jesus when they were little kids. We're going through Mark because we want to see Jesus for who he really is. We want to see what kind of king he is, what kind of kingdom is his kingdom like. If we say that we want to follow Jesus, if we have made that commitment, as we talked about last week, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and daily keep following him, that means becoming an expert in Jesus. His ways, his teachings, the ways that he did ministry, the things that he taught, the things that he said. Because just like those that had a firsthand encounter with Jesus, no one comes away from Jesus' teaching with their confirmation bias intact. No one comes away from hearing Jesus and goes, yep, I knew I had it right. No, Jesus teaches about the kingdom and everyone is mad. When we see who Jesus really is, indifference is not an option. We could and we should spend the rest of our lives getting to know Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Write, write that reference down if you don't have time to look it up now. 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We think, if I could only see God, faith would be so much easier. If I only knew my heavenly father more than my earthly father, if he had a bigger imprint on my life than my earthly father, then faith would be easier. Then I wouldn't struggle so much. We've seen the glory of God. We've seen what the heavenly father is like in the face of Jesus Christ. Tonight, as we take communion, Jeff's going to give us some things to meditate on, but a couple of scriptures that point to breaking of bread as being a way to see Jesus. Luke 24, when Jesus was at the table with the two men on the road to Emmaus, they had him into his home. When he was at the table, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Acts chapter 10 there's a great sermon in Acts chapter 10 and the apostle tells us he showed himself 
to those of us who truly follow him when he ate and he drank with us. As we break bread together, as we take communion, we see God for who he really is. We see what he has done for us. He's given a physical thing so we can remember that he came in a physical body and his body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. So in order to have faith, we need to see Jesus clearly. We need to see his heart. We need to see what he's like. When we're going through chronic illness, we need to know that Jesus can heal with a word. When we're trying to overcome the spiritual darkness that we find in this world, we need to remember that this is only the kind that can be brought out through prayer, praying to Jesus. So first, we need to see Jesus. Second, we need to confess our need. Confess our need. We are so afraid to confess our need, our lack, and our struggle. We so badly want to communicate that we have things put together. I've lived far too much of my life acting like I know what's going on. I just think I should know. I think I should know how to be a good husband. I think I should know how to be a good parent. I think I should know how to be a good pastor and a good friend and a good brother and a good son and a good citizen and all these things. I think I should know. And so I just pretend like I know what's going on. Instead of confessing my need. Instead of confessing I don't know what I'm doing. I'm in desperate need of God's help. This is the start of true faith. Confessing first to God and then to others. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. I know or I feel inside of me that I should, but I just don't know what I'm doing. This man comes with his son who has an unclean spirit, a demonic presence that is throwing him into fire. He comes to Jesus and he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't know what could be powerful enough to keep this from happening, but I need your help. And I think you can help. Help my unbelief. This is a prayer of faith. This is a mustard seed of faith. This is a little bit of faith placed in the right person. In order to have faith, we need to confess our unbelief. Confess, I don't believe this can happen. I don't believe this can change. I don't believe I can get out of this. I don't believe this can be better. I don't believe I can be healed. I don't believe they can be healed. I don't believe that I can overcome this addiction. I don't believe I can ever have peace instead of anxiety. I don't believe I can ever have happiness instead of sadness. Help my unbelief. That prayer alone is a step of faith. Because it stops trying to fix the problem on our own. And it opens us up to the power of God. So, first, we need to see Jesus clearly. Second, we need to confess our need. Third, we need to pray. The disciples, I'm sure, tried everything. They cared about this young man because they pulled Jesus aside and they said, What did we do? How did we not get this done? They saw prayer as the last resort. We often see prayer as the last resort as well. So many situations in our life are such that prayer is the only thing that can be done. 
the only thing that will do any good. So I ask, where do you need wisdom and discernment just to know what to do? What feels too broken to be mended in your life or in this world? What feels too hard and you're just don't, you don't think you can do it, you won't have the energy to do it? What feels too complex and you're not even sure where to start? What seems even hopeless? What are you exhausted from? What are you tired of praying about because you haven't gotten the answer you're looking for? What is so chronic in your life, so habitual in your life or someone else's life that you're giving up hope? Even the act of prayer with a mustard seed of faith prayed to the right savior is a posture of, I believe, help my unbelief. What in your life is only going to change through prayer. I didn't ask her permission to share this, but she's not here and maybe she'll never find out. Um, <laughs> I've been praying uh, for Stacy Simpson for 23 years to feel better physically. And it's been a roller coaster of a journey. Um, one of the primary um, physical symptoms she has had over the last 23 years from, in uh, because of Lyme disease, is chronic migraines. Um, and especially over the last few years, she's had a migraine every other day for years. She has literally tried everything, spent thousands of dollars looking for answers, gone to physicians that have made it worse or not helped at all. She's tried alternative therapies. She's tried everything everyone has suggested. She's gone all over the country. And finally, eight weeks ago, she received a treatment that helped her. And last time I talked to her, which was two weeks ago, she had not had a headache in seven weeks. Two questions, at least. I've got more, but I'll share two with you. Why now? Why now? Why did God just in his kindness say, okay, enough? And the headache was removed. And why did it take so long? I don't understand. If God was going to do it, why didn't he do it 23 years ago? God, I believe. Help my unbelief. God, I don't understand why this took so long, but thank you for healing her on this side of heaven. Thank you for giving her life and energy this side of heaven. We serve a great God who wants to intervene in our lives, even when our faith seems itty-bitty, microscopic, not even there, about to give up. We can go to our good and gracious and powerful God, and we can say, I believe, but help my unbelief. The Spirit of the living God, we recognize your presence here. Thank you that you're with us. Jesus, thank you that we can have faith not based on our own merit or our own strength, but because of who you are and all that you have already done. Thank you that you are a healing God. Thank you that you are a powerful God, a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus, thank you 
that you taught us about faith. Thank you that you taught us where to go with our unbelief. Jesus, we believe you. Help us in our unbelief tonight.